watched too much television last night. First, I watched the president's speech. Then I watched the Golden Globes. I was hoping that both would help unite the country. Mm -mm. They both divided the country even further. You'll hear why on The Dirt Show. Yesterday, I watched a lot more television than I usually do. It started late afternoon watching President uh, Trump's uh, first speech uh, since he left the, the presidency. And then in the evening uh, with my family, I sat around and I watched the Golden Globes. I have to admit, I did not watch uh, the Trump speech with my family because nobody in my family wanted to watch it, but I did watch it. Um, and what the two events together persuaded me that we live in two separate countries. Um, President Trump talked about the wall between the United States and, and Mexico, what I saw yesterday was a wall uh, separating almost half of our country from the other half of the country. It was as if the speech and then the Golden Globes operated on two different planets in two different universes. Uh, neither spoke to the other half. It was, it was quite remarkable. Let me start with the Golden Globes. Um, it was a very entertaining event. The two co-hosts were were funny, but the event could easily have been sponsored by the AOC wing of the Democratic Party. It was a, quote, progressive event, not a centrist Democrat event, but a, a progressive event. Uh, everything on it uh, was progressive. Um, it started with complaint after complaint about the lack of diversity. And apparently it's a legitimate complaint uh, that the uh, foreign Hollywood writers who pick these people for the awards, there are no African-American people, there are no black people, there are no people of color. There are people of color in the sense that among the people that were uh, interviewed were a guy from Turkey and people from other countries, but no people who would be identified clearly as, as black. And that's a, a failing. You shouldn't have any organization giving out prizes to uh, people in the entertainment industry that do not contain at least some people uh, who can identify with uh, black culture and black arts and, and being black. Uh, so that was a legitimate uh, grievance, but it went on and on and on. Every other speaker talked about the lack of diversity, and it was a little bit undercut when the awards were given and when the presenters were introduced because there was an enormous amount of diversity in the awards, rightly so. These were people who deserved the awards, but a lot of them um, were people of color, well-deserved. Uh, some of the great movies this year are starred uh, people of color and were directed by people of color. That's great. Everybody wants to see more of that. So... The presenters, too, uh, had a very large percentage of them were well-deserved people who accomplished an enormous amount in, in the arts, and they were people of color. They were black people and people of color. So although there was a legitimate complaint about the lack of diversity among the people picking the presenters and among the people giving the awards, there was no lack of diversity in the presenters and in the people getting the awards, which makes a few points. Number one, there still should be more people uh, who are black making decisions about 
the awards and the presenters, but number two, that you don't have to be black to give awards to black people and to hire black presenters. Uh, it's much better if you have racial diversity in every aspect of the event. But what we saw yesterday were essentially non-black people giving lots of awards and lots of presentations to people who were who were black. It's a mixed picture, of course. The point I want to make is quite a different one. Diversity, diversity, diversity. That's what we heard about. Diversity, diversity, diversity. But it's only one kind of diversity that was represented in that show last night. And that is racial and ethnic diversity, diversity of color. We saw no ideological diversity. We saw no political diversity. It was a progressive show reflecting progressive values with progressive people getting awards for doing progressive things. There was no diversity of political views, no diversity of ideological views. Let's just go over a few of them. One of the awards was rightfully given to a very good actor named Mark Ruff Ruffalo, uh, a rabid anti-Israel extreme leftist, um, who, of course, as expected, made a rabidly leftist speech. He didn't mention Israel or the Palestinians, but that's one of his passions. And he did mention everything else that's part of the left-wing agenda. Okay, you win a prize, you're entitled to express your views. Uh, well, maybe. Uh, it, hard to imagine that they would welcome John Voight, for example, if he won an award for his great acting, expressing his pro-Trump views. Or Kelsey Grama, who has won, and all these folks have won in the past. Hard to imagine how they would have been received if either of them had, in fact, gotten an award. Or, or James Woods. Um, or other conservatives, pro-Trump conservatives. Uh, of course, you have somebody like Clint Eastwood, who has gotten many awards, including Lifetime Achievement Awards, and he is regarded as about as conservative as you're allowed to be in Hollywood. And, of course, he endorsed Bloomberg for president in the last election, so he's a libertarian. I wouldn't quite put him in the diversity camp. Yes, he's diverse in the sense that he's not a Democrat, but quite different from the people who got the awards yesterday. Uh, Jane Fonda, very deserved. She's a terrific actor. and But she got an award not only for her acting, but for her activism. Well, what was her activism? She went to Vietnam during the war, went to Hanoi, and showed solidarity with the North Vietnamese government at a time when it was killing American Soldiers. I mean, okay, she had the right to do that, fine, but it'd be very hard to imagine any Hollywood organization giving a Lifetime Achievement Award for activism on behalf of conservatives or one of my favorite people, Norman Lear. I support his politics completely. He and I are on the same page on virtually everything. I love what he's done for, for television. But he's very much a left-wing uh, activist and very much somebody whose activism falls on one side of the political spectrum. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, one of my favorite uh, people. Uh, I thought his movie was uh, fantastic and deserved the two awards 
that it got. And, and of course, he, he at least he had the virtue of being funny. He said that his film uh, introduced a newcomer to film. Everybody thought he was referring to the woman who was so terrific in the film. And he said the newcomer in the film who went on to greater things was, of course, Rudy Giuliani. Funny. It's very funny. But again, on one side of the political spectrum. And then we got something else. Uh, two of the films that received accolades, uh, and they were both pretty good. Uh, the Chicago 7, I was actually one of the lawyers in the Chicago 7 case, and so I was pretty critical of much of what was presented there, but it deserved an award, and it got an award. But you saw people kind of praising the Chicago 7, and the guy who got the award for playing Fred Hampton talked about what a wonderful man Fred Hampton was. Well, Fred Hampton advocated the killing of police officers. No no doubt about that. That was part of what the platform of the Black Panthers were, kill pigs. I hate even to use that term. It's such a horrible term. But here we have somebody being praised. Yes, he was killed under circumstances that were not in any way justified, but he was not a praiseworthy model, uh, nor were... My clients in the Chicago 7 case, certainly not all of them, not the ones who yelled, we want blood, we want violence. And then in the same breath that they were praising the Chicago 7 and, and Fred Hampton, they were condemning President Trump's speech on January 6th. Well, President Trump's speech was pablum compared to the speeches made by Hampton and the Chicago 7. President Trump talked about peacefully, patriotically, hearing the voices of people who protested the election, wrongly, in my view, protested the election. Not wrong to protest, but I think their ultimate claim was ill-founded. But here you have, on the same show, condemning the president for making a speech calling for peaceful and patriotic demonstrations, and at the same time, praising people who called to murder policemen and who called for blood on the streets and violence on the streets and violent reactions. Chicago 7 was very mixed. Uh, it was mostly the fault of the Chicago police and Mayor Daley. They were the ones who provoked much of the violence, but the Chicago 7 and those who were named as unindicted co-conspirators along with them came to Chicago to provoke violence. They didn't come to peacefully and patriotically have their voices heard they wanted violence on the streets. They wanted bloodshed. And I defended their right to um, speak and to advocate as long as they didn't incite. But when I defended the right of President Trump to say peacefully and patriotically, have your voices be heard, I was condemned by the very same people who praised the Chicago 7 and Hampton. So we have a very, very... Um, uh, mixed message from the Golden Globes. Um, diversity? Yeah, sure, we need more racial and ethnic diversity. But the last thing the Golden Globes wants is ideological diversity. The last thing they want is diversity of points of view, political uh, diversity. And um, diversity is multifold. And unless we have ideological and political diversity in Hollywood, we're going to get into a situation where it divides the country more than unites them. Um, I'll give you an example. There's a great 
film called Nomads. I really, really loved that film. And I loved the person who was in the film, the star. She should have gotten a Golden Globe Award. She didn't, but the director and the film got Golden Globe Awards, and they deserved it. But in real life, I strongly suspect, um, I haven't read the book, but having seen the movie, I strongly suspect, take this as a hypothetical, that many of the nomads were strong Trump supporters. Um, Many of them were individualists. They were people on the fringes of society. There were probably people on the extreme left and probably people on the extreme right. I suspect if the film, and remember the film interviewed a number of real nomads, they weren't just Hollywood actors, but real nomads. I suspect if some of the real nomads had expressed their political views and said, you know, we're nomads, we believe in freedom and liberty, and we're real Trump supporters, we think Trump is the answer to all of it, I don't think it would have won any awards. I don't think it would have been nominated. I don't think it would have been praised the way it was appraised. It was very smart to keep politics out because in Hollywood, politics goes only one way. If you're political on the left, you get points. If you're political on the right, you lose points. It doesn't mean you can't get a Golden Globe if you're really, really terrific. Some conservatives have gotten Golden Globes, but they're not certainly encouraged to express their conservative points of view when they get their awards. By the way, I don't like that at all. I don't care about what a Hollywood star's political views are. I don't take them seriously. I I don't think they should be given any more respect than anybody else on the street just because a person is a good actor, can read lines, and can express herself or himself doesn't mean that we have to pay more attention to their politics, but of course we do because they're celebrities and, and they're stars. And I think the Golden Globes takes advantage of that by encouraging people to express their political views if their political views coincide with the political views of the sponsors of the Golden Globe and of Hollywood in general. And so what I what I hated about yesterday is it confirmed what people on the right say about Hollywood. I was hoping it wouldn't confirm what people on the right say about Hollywood. I don't like what people on the right say about Hollywood. I wish it were wrong. But it confirmed it. It really confirmed the fact that Hollywood is very one-sided in general with a few exceptions. So let's turn now to President Trump's speech. For me, it was disappointing. He had an opportunity to try to bring the country uh, together. He had an opportunity to say, look, I disagree with the outcome of the election. I disagree with uh, the direction the country is going. I disagree with where we want to go in 2022 and 2024. But at least give the president of the United States a chance. Uh, He is the president. He was elected. Trump thinks illegitimately. I disagree. He's entitled to have his point of view. He's entitled to make his point. But he was inaugurated. He is the president of the United States. There is only one president. And what I think President Trump did is further divide the country, not unite them, uh, further uh, fuel the flames of illegitimacy of this uh, presidency, um, and further divide the Republican Party, because a lot of Republicans don't agree that the election was illegitimate, including the minority leader of the Senate, former majority leader of the Senate, including 
the minority leader of the House, uh, including some of the leading people in the Republican Party. So the president's speech divided not only Americans from Americans, you know, 75 million on one side, 80-something million on the other side, but divided Republicans as well. Um, And so the end result of watching too many hours of television, probably more than I've watched since the pandemic began, probably watched five hours of television. At least I exercised while I was watching. So got something good, positive done. Um, But it showed me a deeply divided country that is not on the way to uh, reunification. It showed me the divided states of America, not the United States of America. Not only the divided states of America, but within states, tremendous divisions. And we're seeing more and more states that are no longer to be taken for granted. I mean, Georgia. Uh, when I was growing up, of course Georgia was Democrat. It was Dixiecrat. The segregationists would win. Then when the Republican Party under Nixon had the Southern strategy, Georgia became a state you could always count on. It was always going to go Republican. President Trump yesterday said that every senator he endorsed one election, not quite the two senators from Georgia that he endorsed, lost to two Democrats, neither of whom was extremely well qualified. The Democrats didn't win the Georgia elections. The Republicans lost the Georgia election. So Georgia is now a divided state. Florida, where I have my home, is very much a divided state. We saw that even in 2000 when the election really went to Al Gore but because of miscounting and difficulties of getting to the ballot box and uh, the butterfly ballot and, and, and Jews in Palm Beach County who inadvertently voted, voted for Pat Buchanan, um, uh, President uh, Bush won the election by less than 600 votes. I call that a divided state when you get the presidency determined by less than 600 uh, votes. Texas is now in some ways, up for uh, grabs. Uh, Interestingly enough, almost all the states that are up for grabs are states that were traditionally Republican and now can go Democrat. The traditionally Democrat states are really not up for grabs, maybe a couple of them in in the the center north of the country. But for the most part, um, these states, which used to be solidly Republican, Arizona, um, and others, are now very much purple states, no longer red states. So we have divisions within the Republican Party. We have divisions within and the United States. And for me, it was distressing because yesterday was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for Hollywood to be more embracing, more inclusive, more diverse. And it was an opportunity for uh, former President Trump to reach out a hand and say, though I stand by my principles, and he said, I think the quotable statement he said is, I may win for the third time in 2024. He won in 2016, suggesting he won in 2020 and saying he may win again in 2024. He has the right to make all of those statements. But I do think the idea of saying we are one country and for the next years, at least give a period of time. We have another year and few months until the next congressional elections and another three years and a few months before the presidential elections. Let's give the current president the right to prove himself. Let's give him an opportunity to show he will build on 
President Trump's accomplishments in foreign policy, particularly the Abraham Accords and the recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital and the recognition of the Golan Heights as properly belonging to Israel. Let's join together and and let's see if the president can build on these accomplishments. Uh, Let's see if the president can build on Trump's accomplishments. And there's no question he deserves credit for Operation Warp Speed and getting the vaccines made available as quickly as possible. And I would have loved to see uh, both President uh, Biden and former President Trump get together and, and, and join in uh, urging Americans to take the vaccine. President Trump did that. He made a joke of it. He said Biden took the vaccine. It was so painless he didn't even notice. OK, at least he's telling everybody to take the vaccine. And here you have, again, another situation where the current president can build on the accomplishments of a former president and getting the vaccines out there, getting three vaccines now available. That's a victory for all Americans. And we have to focus on what is good for all Americans. What are victories for all Americans? Peace in the Middle East is good for all Americans. Not letting Iran get away with attacking American contractors and American troops and perhaps an Israeli ship, that's good for all Americans. There are so many things that unite our country that bring us together. And one of the things that should unite us is Hollywood. Hollywood is perhaps the most important export that the United States has today. No, it's not oil. No, it's not any of the other natural resources. It's the American way of life. And the American way of life is portrayed around the world by Hollywood, particularly now where everybody is home and people are watching television. It's a great American export and it should be more diverse. It should represent the diversity of American experience, not only the diversity of our racial identity, but the American experience. Hollywood can do more. President Trump could do more. I think the Democrats could do more. The Democrats bear a lot of the responsibility for dividing this country. It was a terrible mistake, constitutionally, legally, morally, politically, to impeach President Trump a second time for essentially his constitutionally protected speeches leading up to the horrible events of uh, January 6th. It was a terrible mistake, terribly divisive for the Democrats to not just savor their victory and allow President Biden to move on and not give the center of attention once again on the Senate floor to former President Trump. So there's enough blame to go around here. And so yesterday I saw the blame in Hollywood. I saw some of the blame in the former president's speech, some of the blame in the Democrats' attempt to Uh, impeach him for the second time and efforts to delegitimate him from the moment he came into office. Remember that there were efforts to impeach him 18 minutes after he took the oath of office. So let's not blame only the Republicans for not accepting victory, defeat, the outcome of elections. The Democrats did the same thing. Jamie Raskin protested the 2016 election as he had the right to do, but so did President Trump have the right to do it. Was it right for either of them to do it? That's a very, very different question. In America, you have the right to be wrong. That doesn't make it right to be wrong. That means you have the right to march through Skokie in Illinois if you're a Nazi. You have the right 
to deny the Holocaust. You have the right to tell really bad jokes on SNL, Saturday Night Live, about how Israel doesn't give vaccines to its non-Jewish population. Totally, totally, totally false. You have the right to do that. You also have the right to protest it, as people did protest. Look, America is a great, diverse country. We are diverse not only racially, we're diverse ideologically, we're diverse politically, we're diverse in every possible way. The greatness of this country is its diversity. We are all the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren of immigrants, uh, one way or another. Our families, my family, came to America voluntarily. Um, The children and grandchildren of slaves were brought to America involuntarily. The children and grandchildren of Native Americans were slaughtered, uh, their grandparents were, and were denied their rights under a treaties. It's a complicated country. African Americans were owned by Native Americans. Wow, that's complicated, isn't it? Uh, you had Native Americans who owned slaves. You had former slaves who owned slaves. You had people of every racial, ethnic background owning slaves. And, 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 and we're so complicated. Our history is so complicated. Let's not simplify it. Let's not create divisions where divisions are unnecessary. Let's look to the future of our country and its greatness. Let's unite wherever we can unite. I'm not saying drop your principled opposition to what's going on in the current administration if you're a Republican. Stand up for what you believe is right. But try to focus on the issues that unite us, fighting against common enemies, whether it be the coronavirus or Iran or, in some respects, China and other countries. We can unite around those issues rather than divide around those issues. So last night, yesterday, not a good night for television, not a good night for America. Let's hope in the future we have better days and better nights. Let's hope that e pluribus unum, we can stand together united as a country where we're united while recognizing the right of others to dissent and not condemning them, not disassociating with them because they disagree with you. That's what destroys a country. That's what tears us apart. And I'm hoping we can do more to unite us and less to tear us apart. So that's the Dersh view today. I know I'll get a lot of opposition to that. I know I'll get a lot of calls from some of you who thought President Trump's speech was terrific. Some of you who thought the Golden Globes were terrific. Probably some of you who thought both were terrible. Let's hear your views. I know many of you watched both the speech and the Golden Globes, so please call in with your comments on The Dirt Show. Let's turn now to our first comment of the day. Uh, hi, Professor Dershowitz. Uh, I have a First Amendment question, so I think I'm talking to the right guy. I'm sure we're both appalled by big tech censorship of free speech and would like to defend the right of Americans to freely speak and exchange views. So I was thinking as big as big tech is, it must do a great deal of business for the federal government and federal funds uh, thereby effectively support big tech and its censorship. Aren't federal appropriations going to these big tech censors indirectly supporting the abridgment of free speech in violation of the First Amendment? And if so, should courts rule these appropriations unconstitutional on on that basis? 
And if not, would you endorse Congress passing free speech legislation prohibiting the expenditure of federal funds supporting communication businesses engaged in censorship? So that's my question. Thanks. What a great question. Uh, a whole seminar could be taught on that issue. Uh, we know that many private institutions receive federal funding. Harvard University, where I taught for 50 years, receives federal funding, and yet it is a private institution, and it is able to exercise censorship. It's not governed by the First Amendment, though it says it decided itself to be governed by the by the, at least the spirit of the First Amendment. It's very complicated. Uh, take, for example, uh, PBS, public radio, public television. It gets some funding from uh, the government, different different administrations, or the arts in general. And yet we don't allow the government to censor. We allow them to make their own decisions. So the relationship between government funding and the First Amendment is a very complicated one, but you, you, have, you have a point. I mean, if the government massively funds, it could condition the funding on not exercising censorship. For example, in the Trump administration, I helped review uh, an executive order that threatened to cut off federal funding from private universities that discriminated against Jews uh, and uh, Zionism and uh, Jewish values, included that among other forms of discrimination against women, against gays, against African-Americans, against other people. Um, and that was almost certainly constitutional. So there is room for Congress to act, but there are constraints on congressional action by the First Amendment itself. So it's a very good question but a very complicated, very complex one. Thanks. Good evening, Alan. Uh, my name is Robert, Jacksonville, Florida. Guarding uh, Trump's impeachment lawyers. Okay, we had 144 uh, supposedly lawyers, legal scholars, etc., that signed the letter and or the the document or whatever. But since they utilized the argument of the uh, uh, First Amendment. What is the status? I mean, like, were those people all proven wrong or what? I mean, just I, I, my my brain is completely bonked out on the legality of what that means. Could you give me a give us give us a comment on that, please? Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I learned early in life that 144 people, 144,000 people, 144 million people can all be wrong. It's part of my tradition growing up Jewish. Um, I was taught from a very early age that there was a period of time, not very many years ago, where the entire world believed that Jews killed Christian babies for their blood and used their blood in baking the matzah for Passover. Everybody believed it. It was wrong. Everybody believed that Jews poisoned the wells that caused the Black Plague. It was wrong. So early in my life, I was taught never to base my opinion, certainly not my facts, on what other people believe. I'll listen to what people believe. I have an open mind. But just before, because 144 professors or scholars or academics believe that the First Amendment didn't apply to President Trump's speech— that doesn't make it right. All 144 of them were wrong. I was right. And I'm going to stick by my position uh, no matter how many people are on the other side. Uh, I think 
part of the reason for my success as a lawyer and as an academic and as a public figure is I have my own compass. I listen to my internal compass. I pay attention to what people say outside. It's also the cause of so much criticism of me. People think I'm arrogant and know-it-all because I stand by my views. I am consistent. My views have been consistent over my 65 years of advocacy for freedom of speech and for due process, and I'll be darned if I'm going to change those views at age 82 and a half. Today's my half birthday. I'm 82 and a half as of today, and I'm not going to change my views based on what 144 people say. So no, they were dead wrong, and I was right. And uh, you make up your own mind. Uh, Go back and read Brandenburg. Listen to President Trump's speech and make up your own mind. Don't listen to 144 people. Don't listen to entertainers. Don't listen to Hollywood stars. And don't listen to academics. Make up your own mind. Obviously, there are areas of technical science like vaccines where we have to listen to scientists. I wrote an op-ed in March a year ago saying uh, follow science but be skeptical of scientists because scientists change their mind all the time. So have an open mind, make up your own mind, make up your own decisions, listen to everybody, but in the end, it's up to you to decide what to believe and how to act. Hello, Alan. This is Tom in Santa Monica, California. Professor, when you spoke about the academics uh, complaining that the First Amendment argument is frivolous. Uh, You were asked, would you support any of these people if they ran for a judge position? Uh, You indicated that you might very well not support them. Although I agree with you, are you practicing the same cancel culture that you accuse them of doing? And if not, what's the difference? Thank you. Your program is terrific. That's a good point, and it's a legitimate criticism. Um, I wouldn't oppose them for judgeship or professorship, but I'd ask them hard questions about it, and I'd take that into account as a factor um, if somebody was so partisan that they couldn't really objectively determine facts in front of them as a judge or who was an appropriate academic, it would be a factor in, in, in my decision. But I'd give them an opportunity to explain. Maybe they could persuade me that I was wrong. Uh, but you're right. If I were to disqualify people based on their opinion, I would be guilty of the same uh, intolerance and closed-mindedness that I accuse others. So I, t- I accept your point. This is Douglas Wood of Folsom, California. I just got through listening to your uh, Der show focusing on the uh, terrible thing that happened at Smith College. I was disappointed that you didn't really talk about the culpability as far as the uh, president of the college was concerned and possibly other members of the college. Also, part of that story had to do with a librarian who protested such and ended up having to leave also. And period. I think those are important aspects of the case and i think the college ought to the president and whomever at the college should be sued and uh, sued in a uh, a very uh well just sued uh, with a lot of money asked for because uh they need to be punished for not 
doing the right investigation. Thank you very much. I hope you can use what I've had to say and be happy to talk to you. Well, you make a very good point. They did do a proper investigation. They, they, they did What they did was much worse. They did a proper investigation. They got the results. The results were that the young woman, the African-American woman, was totally wrong and completely at fault and had made false accusations of racism and that those who were accused, the janitor, the librarian, the security officer, were completely in the right. But they didn't act on that. They did the right investigation, but then they were too afraid to go and follow the results of the investigation. I do condemn the president of the university um, of Smith College. Um, Smith, by the way, has a long, long history of bigotry, a long history of bigotry. Uh, It was one of the few um, schools that maintained anti-Jewish quotas for many, many more years after other schools had had dropped it. Uh, Smith has a very bad history of of intolerance and and, and bigotry. Uh, But the president of Smith should be condemned for her uh, wishy-washy attitude. She should have condemned and perhaps disciplined the student, not for initially what she did um, putting it on social media, but once she learned, once the facts came out, for her to continue to call people racists and to destroy their careers and to bully them. She's a bully. To bully them, yes, a 21-year-old can be a bully. And she bullied these people and ended up destroying their careers and in some ways their reputation and their lives. So I agree with you. I don't think Smith did enough. And I do think there is a potential lawsuit against the young woman for persisting in her claims of racism when the evidence plainly showed that it was she who was completely at fault. Yes, hi, this is Alfred Borneman. I'd like to know if Trump was correct in his analysis that it was constitutional for Pence to reject the election results that were sent in from the states and ask them to reconsider and recertify. Is that constitutional? I would like to know. The answer is clearly no. Uh, Prince had a, simply the duty to read the results. It was up to the members of the Senate. Under the Constitution, the vice president, as president of the Senate, has one role, one role. He presides, and as part of a presiding officer, he casts the deciding vote when they are equally divided. But he has no power beyond that under the Constitution. And therefore, he had no discretion, no authority to unilaterally declare the votes invalid. He had the authority to call on senators and to have a vote. And if there was a vote of the Senate um, to declare the election invalid, that would be one thing. But there wasn't. They had a half a dozen, maybe more, maybe even a dozen, maybe two dozen. But they certainly didn't have a majority. And the vice president has no independent authority other than presiding officer. He's not elected to the Senate. He doesn't get a vote in the Senate except when they are equally divided. And so uh, President Trump was wrong constitutionally. Vice President uh, was right uh, constitutionally in saying that his role was simply to read the results of the election and to listen to what the senators themselves wanted to do. Hi, this is Sandra Doan from Jacksonville, Florida. And I want to talk a little bit about um, voter ID. When I hear resistance to voter ID, 
called voter suppression. I'm wondering what the history of that is. Uh, in today's world, we have to have voter uh, have to have ID, cash a two dollar check uh, when one goes to a doctor's office, and I just think that um, it's just reasonable to show up to vote uh, with a picture ID. Enjoy the show very much, Professor Dershowitz. Thank you. I appreciate your question. Historically, voter IDs have been used to disenfranchise uh, minorities, to disenfranchise uh, people who are afraid um, that by getting an ID, they may be deported or something of that kind. That doesn't mean that voter ID could not properly be required. I think you'd need several steps before you required uh, voter ID. The first step is you have to make it much easier to get ID. You have to be able to get voter ID cards uh, by mail so that old people, poor people, people who work three jobs can get it. Um, you have to make it as simple as possible, maybe online, with all kinds of checks. But you have to make it very easy to get a voter ID before you can require a voter ID. And that would be the best thing. Look, I think eventually... Uh, we are going to move toward more flexibility in, in voting. President Trump, in his speech yesterday, talked about having everybody have to come to the poll and vote unless you have, um, you're in the Army or you're abroad or you um, have a medical reason, but everybody else should have to go to the polls to vote. That's a reasonable debate to have, whether the movement toward mail-in ballots Ultimately, the movement toward computerized voting is a good thing or a bad thing. I'd need a lot more data um, to assess that. There are two goals in, in voting. Number one, maximize the vote. Get out as many votes as possible. Number two, minimize the number of fraudulent or improper votes. Uh, those require a balance because there's no free lunch. The easier you make it to vote, the more you're going to get mistaken ballots. Remember, in the early days of our Republic, when only white male property owners uh, over the age of 21 in some states who were Protestants, uh, when only those people could vote, it was very easy to check ID. You just knew everybody. Uh, as we broaden suffrage to include uh, young people, women, people of color, et cetera, et cetera, inevitably more people cause more problems. But it's a balance that has to be struck. We want maximum voting. No party should ever have as part of its goal to minimize voting because it helps them electorally. That's just wrong. And as long as we can strike the appropriate balance, uh, I have no problem with voter ID as long as voter IDs can be made equally accessible to all and can help us both bring out the vote and also reduce fraud. Yes, my name's Margaret. I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and I really have enjoyed your podcast. Um, I lean right, but I think everything you have brought up is incredibly important to the future of our country. Um, since you brought up the subject of immigration with Chris Ruddy, I just did want to make a comment. Um, I did feel that Trump was not anti-immigration. I think he was pro-securing the border, which I am, because I think that is first and foremost needs to be done before we can talk about things like paths to citizenship. Um, 
we need a secure border and legal immigration and legal um, guest worker programs. I'd like to know your comments about that um, and how you feel that Joe Biden is addressing that situation now that he is president. Thank you. A great question. Look, uh, I think we're all pro-immigration. We all want more immigrants to come into this country who will contribute to the lifeblood of the country. We are a nation of immigrants. If you look at, you know, uh, who has done work on COVID, who helped us develop warp speed, many of them were immigrants. The head of FISA is an immigrant. Uh, the heads of many of the other companies are children of immigrants. Uh, we are the greatest country in the world because we have such a diverse population in terms of immigration and our background. But you're right, we have to secure our borders. Uh, we want to encourage legal immigration. Um, my relatives uh, immigrated to this country, some of them during the Holocaust, were just saved barely by months or weeks from certain uh, uh, murder. And so I'm, I strongly support uh, legal immigration. Um, and there are hard issues. Hard issues are, what about people who are seeking asylum? How should we treat them? Uh, where should their asylum claims be litigated, outside of the country or inside the country? We have rational pathways uh, that will encourage legal immigration and discourage unlawful immigration. We just have to discuss the issue rationally. I think that it's not an issue that should divide Republicans from Democrats. It's not an issue that should divide whites from blacks. It's not an issue that should divide men from women. It's an issue that I think should unite us if we do it right. And I'm certainly going to start out with an open mind toward President Biden and hope that he can come up with a rational immigration policy. I certainly did not support President Trump's ban on immigration from designated countries. That was too broad, and it was too potentially uh, afflicted with stereotyping. Um, I would much prefer to see individuals judged based on their individual merit, not based on national origin or ethnicity. And I certainly didn't approve of President Woodrow Wilson's effort to limit immigration based on the percentage of people from different countries who were in the country uh, in 18, whatever it was. Those were racially based. So we can have a rational immigration policy, and I'm hoping that President Biden devotes a lot of attention to that issue because we benefit when we get legal immigrants and we don't benefit from illegal immigrants. I think that's something we can all agree to. Hi, Professor Dershowitz. My name is Block. I reside in Nourishell, New York. I wanted to ask you about the fact that back during the 1990s, racketeering laws were used to go after pro-life organizations. Eventually, it made it to the Supreme Court, and even Ruth Bader Ginsburg said that they were this was a violation of the First Amendment. I wondered what your uh, opinion was on that on that case. I've always wondered about that. I've watched on interviews, and I've, I've never heard you answer that. Thank you. Thanks. You've never heard me answer it because I've never been asked it. And thank you for being the first to ask me that question. I am generally not in favor of the racketeering influence corrupt organization law, RICO. It's, it's too broad. It's, it exists and it's used and it's used very positively in some instances. It should never be used in the First Amendment context. It should never be used against um, either side of the 
uh, abortion choice debate. Because if you use it against one side, you can use it against the other side. Um, and the First Amendment has to prevail. It has to trump. It has to come before statutes. And, and RICO is capable of being too broadly and, and uh, open-endedly applied to constrain freedom of assembly, freedom of association, freedom of political action, and freedom of speech. So I think I agree with your general perception on RICO laws. Look, it's so great to get a question that I've never been asked before. And I get them all the time on The Dirt Show. You are the wits to The Dirt Show. And thank you so much for asking me these hard, hard questions. I mean, these are the kind of questions that I would look forward to when I taught courses at Harvard Law School. I miss teaching, so it's a thrill to be able to teach and participate with you in a kind of Socratic dialogue. You ask me the questions, I give you the answers. The next day you can ask me more questions. Keep it coming. Keep your questions coming. Subscribe. Tell your friends about The Dirt Show. Let's continue to interact and let's get more questions on The Dirt Show. An important part of The Dirt Show is your voice, your questions, your comments. Please call 24-7. The number is 216-710-0050. Keep your comments short and to the point. Again, the number for you to call 24-7 is 216-710-0050. Hard questions, criticisms, everything's fine. Just keep your questions short and I'll answer them all on The Dirt Show.